Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trials stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. In our last episode, we covered the delivery of the jury's verdict in the trial. Travis McMichael was found guilty on all nine counts, including one count of malice murder and four counts of felony murder. His father, Greg McMichael, was found guilty on eight of the nine counts, including four counts of felony murder. William Bryan was found guilty on six of the nine counts, including three counts of felony murder. With those verdicts rendered, we will continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. Today, we return to our series on the prosecution's cross-examination of Travis McMichael. Our coverage of part two of prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's questioning is coming up right after the break. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When we left prosecutor Linda Dunikowski on the afternoon of November 17th, she was suggesting that Travis McMichael was in fact looking for confrontation with Mr. Arbery, not waiting for law enforcement. On the next morning, November 18th, the prosecutor's questions to McMichael seemed to be aimed at destroying the defense argument that the defendant was seeking to make a lawful citizen's arrest. So I'm gonna to talk to you about some of the legal terms that you used yesterday, okay? All right, so first I want to talk to you kind of about probable cause, all right? And you testified yesterday that you had been trained in the military, with the Coast Guard, um, that even when you had arrest powers, before you could arrest somebody, you needed probable cause, correct? That's correct. All right, and you even gave the jury the definition of probable cause, correct? Yes, ma'am. All right, you said it was a level of suspicion by a reasonable and prudent person given the overall circumstances, to believe a crime has been committed? Yes, ma'am. All right. But that's really only half the definition, isn't it? That's what I, that's what I was taught in my training, was okay. that definition right there. So, isn't it correct that, well, let me ask it this way. Didn't you learn from your training that you need two parts? Reasonable suspicion first, and then probable cause. So, isn't it true from your training that you need two parts of probable cause? You need probable cause that a crime has actually been committed and that the person you're arresting is the one who committed the crime. That would be correct. All right. But you left out the second part, that you actually have to have probable cause that the person you're arresting is actually the one committing the crime. That makes sense. Um, I mean, if that was the person that I assumed that was... Uh, committing the crime. That was, the probable cause was him. So you assumed he was the one committing the crime? Yes. All right, so you'd agree that as law enforcement, when you were there in the military as a boarding officer, um, that even if you know a crime is committed, 
when you have several suspects, you can't just go and arrest the first suspect. You have to actually have evidence that that person is one who committed that crime, correct? That's correct. And I believe I had it with the videos that I've seen with him, with Mr. Arbery being the one that has been there multiple times. And then what I witnessed on the 11th with him sneaking through those yards or through that yard. And then the way that he reacted to me when I put the lights on him, reacted like he was going for a gun and then went into that house after we had our altercation. And then Mr. Albenzi being there that same evening and verified that he's that on the videos, the same guy that he's seen. And then seeing Mr. Albenzi pointing down the road led to probable cause. And then dad saying that that was the same individual of the probable cause that it is the same guy that has been in that house that has been breaking into and stuff has been stolen. So the overall, the totality of everything led me to, to go down there and see if that was him. So the totality of all of that led you to go see if that was him. Yes. Meaning the guy you'd seen on the 11th. Correct. All right. So you used the word totality of the circumstances a whole bunch here, haven't you? Yes, I guess. All right. So let's go ahead and back up for a second. You had your gun stolen, correct? I did. January 1st, 2020. Yes, ma'am. And you had a suspect in mind for that theft of that gun, correct? Yes. I, when I got the videos from Ms. Perez, Diego, looking through, there was a truck that came through that I haven't seen in the neighborhood before. And after looking at the truck, I thought that it might've been some teenagers that I would see on that part of the county. And it turned out that it was a neighbor on the other side. And that was as far as I was, that I went with that. Who's David Sorrells? I have no idea. Really? He's not a Facebook friend of yours? Not that I believe. Would it help to refresh your recollection if you looked at some of your Facebook posts that you shared with Mr. Sorrells? Absolutely. All right. Go ahead and take a look at this. Yeah, I recommend it. All right. Do you know who David Sorrells is? I do not. He must've been on the neighborhood page. I do remember the message now. And I believe he must saw it on the neighborhood Facebook page. All right. So on January 1st, he says he's sorry about your gun being stolen out of your car. Is that right? Yes. That's what he wrote. All right. And then you indicated that you had a pretty good feeling about who stole it. Yes, ma'am. And you found out where he lived. Is that correct? Yes. And you've been watching him for several days. Yes. That was not Mr. Arbery. No, that was the truck I was telling you about. And you then indicated that this may be the same individual who has been causing trouble in the neighborhood. Yes, ma'am. Okay. But that's not Mr. Arbery. No, ma'am. So why in your written statement, two hours after the homicide, do you put down the very first sentence on January 1st of 2020, approximately between nine and 1030, I had my vehicle broken into and my Smith and Wesson gun stolen out of my truck. Because I was aware of things, of burglaries and 
vehicles being broken into the neighborhood. And then on top of seeing what I saw on the 11th, that there are things being broken into. I was under concern that Mr. Arby could be a suspect in this, or he could not be. But like I said prior, he is the one that I have seen, and he is the one that has been in that house several times. So, of course, I'm thinking he's a suspect. But I don't know if it was him or the other people that they've seen or if I've heard about. So, given you don't know who stole your gun, there was no probable cause to arrest Mr. Arbery for the theft of your handgun on January 1st, 2020? No, ma'am. You also didn't know who had stolen the items out of the boat, Mr. Larry English's boat, did you? No, but I had a probability. I was thinking that the probability of who was doing that was the one that continued to go into this house, that has been caught in this house several times, which was Mr. Arbery. But you had no evidence he'd ever taken anything off of Mr. English's boat? Other than that there's been stuff stolen out of that house and that he has been in that, in that house several times. And at the point in time on February 23rd, you knew about October 25th? Yes. November 18th? Yes. And February 11th? Yes. You also knew that the white couple had gone in on November 17th, right? I did. You also knew that there was a shady looking guy under the bridge, correct? I did. And you also suspected this guy in the neighborhood with the truck may have been the one who stole your handgun. He might have also been someone who was stealing things in the neighborhood, as you said to Mr. Sorrells, right? And for a couple of days, they decided that that was not, that was not, or was not the person that had the truck that I thought it was a different truck, so by letting that, that's not. Uh, is that Rob Way? I don't know who Rob Way is. So Kim Ballesteros didn't tell you that she suspected Rob Way in the neighborhood as being the one who stole her purse out of her car January 30th? Not that I recall, no ma'am. And you're telling this jury that your mother never told you that Larry English suspected his contractors? No ma'am. Prosecutor Dunikowski next seizes on a new wrinkle in Travis McMichael's narrative to suggest that he is changing his story for the benefit of the jury. All right, so about February 11th, I want to make sure yesterday. Yesterday, when you testified, did you testify that Mr. Arby actually came toward you and started lifting up his shirt? Yes, ma'am. Okay, but you never said that before to anyone, did you? I put it in the statement. The statement, your handwritten statement? The, state, the written statement, I believe I did. I was incorrect, I said I reached into his pants. Right, so in your statement, you indicated that I was getting out of my car to ask him what he was doing. This is a written statement? Correct. Or, okay. And he turned toward my vehicle and reached into his pants, which led me to think that he may have a weapon. Yes, ma'am. And then you indicated I immediately put my car in reverse and the individual went into the house under construction, correct? Yes, ma'am. Dunikowski goes on to use security video of Mr. Arbery walking in the under construction site to challenge the reasonableness of Travis McMichael's suspicion that Mr. Arbery had a gun. Now right here, Mr. Arbery have anything in his hands? Not I can see, no ma'am. Have a backpack with him? <clears throat> he did not. Any sort of bag with him? Not at that time, no. Um, he's wearing a big long t-shirt, isn't he? Uh, yes. 
and shorts cut off at the knees. I think they were cargo shorts. But... And he's got running shoes on. I can't tell. Now, that particular evening, you've seen the body cam video of Officer Rash, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And Officer Rash told you and told your father that Larry English said Mr. Arbery had never taken or stolen anything from the open unsecured construction site. Is that correct? My understanding was never seen, saw him take anything from there. Yes, ma'am. Never saw anything taken. Okay. And Larry English actually had never had anything stolen from the open unsecured construction site. Uh, yes, he had stuff stolen out of his boat that was inside that house. Yes, ma'am. But you didn't investigate that crime as a law enforcement officer, correct? No, ma'am. Because you weren't a law enforcement officer, were you? That's correct. All right. And your father wasn't a law enforcement officer either? He was not. Okay. So you're basing your probable cause on something that was rumor that your mother told you about things being stolen off the boat? I was basing on the 11th for seeing him in there again and hearing that the stuff was stolen off of that boat and then hearing it from the other neighbors and then from seeing on the 11th. So yes, it happened. And then seeing him come in multiple times and then everything that followed up on the 23rd. Yes, that's. You were here when Officer Rash testified, is that right? I was. Okay, and you heard Officer Rash um, under cross-examination answer the defense attorney's question about if Mr. Larry English had filed a police report about items stolen off of his boat, correct? Yes. Okay. And he said the officer assigned would have investigated it, right? Yes. All right. And that means interviewing Larry English, correct? Yes. On cross-examination, do you remember Officer Rash testifying that the officer assigned, if Mr. English had filed a report, would have investigated that? Yes. Okay. And that Officer Rash, you heard him testify that that would have included interviewing Larry English, correct? Yes. All right. And you heard Larry English testify that the boat had been moved back and forth between Douglas, correct? He learned that, yes. Well, he didn't learn that. He knew it. He'd moved the boat back and forth, right? Uh, you talking about Rash or English? I object. I'm not sure what the relevance is about asking him what he heard people testify in court that he didn't know with his own personal knowledge on particular dates. Hearing what people later come and testify about in court is asking him to comment on the testimony before the jury. It doesn't seem to be a relevant inquiry. What he did and what he knew in those particular times, I think, surely. But what they testify about in court and how that may change his thoughts about dates in the past doesn't appear to be relevant. It's overruled. Go ahead. Okay. And you heard Larry English testify that he suspected his subcontractors. Yes? That. That Larry English suspected his subcontractors of having stolen the items off of his boat. You heard him testify to that. Here, yes, ma'am. Okay, and you heard him testify that he told that to Officer Rash. Yes. And you heard Officer Rash testify that he told that to your father. Yes. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Prosecutor Dunikowski next moves on to the events on the day that Travis McMichael shot Ahmaud Arbery. She walks McMichael through the steps of his chasing down the running Mr. Arbery as he ran into the Satilla Shores neighborhood away from the two exit streets. McMichael's testimony makes it clear that Mr. Arbery wanted nothing to do with him and turned around back towards the exit of the neighborhood. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about what was happening on February 23rd. All right, so you first saw, you personally first saw Ahmaud Arbery as he was running ahead of you. That's correct. Okay. And you were driving behind him in the white F-150 pickup truck? Yes, ma'am. All right. And at that time, when you first saw him, he didn't have a bag, did he? No, ma'am. Didn't have a backpack? He did not. Didn't, wasn't carrying a box? Wasn't. Okay. And you could see his hands as he ran? Yes. And you could see that he was wearing the cargo shorts and the t-shirt. Yes, ma'am. And you didn't know who he was. I mean, Uh, you didn't know him personally. I didn't know him personally, no ma'am. Okay, you didn't know his name. No ma'am. Okay, didn't know anything about him. Nothing. He didn't know you. Not that I'm aware of. You just knew that he was the guy who was on video at the open unsecured construction site that I saw on the 11th. And at this point in time, when you first see him on Burford, he's not reaching into his pockets. No ma'am, not running, no ma'am. And he never yelled at you guys? No ma'am. Never threatened you at all? No ma'am. Never brandished any weapons? Sorry, are you trying to finish his answer? Yeah, he did not threaten me verbally, no ma'am. All right. Didn't brandish any weapons? Uh, No ma'am. Didn't pull out any guns. No, ma'am. Didn't pull out any knife. No, ma'am. Never reached for anything, did he? Uh, No. He just ran. Yes, he was just running. So at this point in time, you catch up to him by pulling up next to him. Is that right? Yes, pulling alongside, uh, keeping with my window right there. I did. So as he's running down the street, let's say this is the street, he's on. This side of the road, consistent with someone driving forward, or is he on that side of the road looking at oncoming traffic? Uh, oncoming traffic. Okay. So he's yes. on the side for oncoming traffic. That's correct. All right. So you pull up next to him. Is that right? Yes. You startled him. Uh, no. Are you a mind reader? I'm not, but I could see his actions, the way that he was, he didn't veer, he didn't run off. I came up to him slowly, um, just like I would anybody else, and I've never startled anybody doing that before. Anybody walking or jogging or running, uh, I've never had anybody become startled on that. So, how many? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. How many times have you pulled up on strangers that you don't know next to them with a pickup truck to ask them what they're doing in your neighborhood? I don't think I have in that situation, but I have pulled up on people that are running behind, coming up behind them. Um, But, I mean, if you could be startled for somebody coming up behind you, 
is one thing or another. You can tell if somebody is, but he, I didn't startle him. I didn't didn't come up on him hard or fast or blowing the horn or anything. I just pulled alongside him on my side of the road, right at the at the yellow line. And once he acknowledged me and uh, saw that I was there, is when I came a little closer and, and stayed with. So he's running. You pull up. He looks at you, and you say to him, "What?" I say, "Hey, what's going on? Hold on a second. And he didn't say anything back to you? No, ma'am. Right. He just kept running? He stopped and turned and went backwards. And that was the one caught on uh, Mr. Ryan's video. Then you back up. Is that right? I did. So you back up the truck to follow him. And at some point in time, what do you say to him? I'm, ask, I'm asking, what, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? What happened down there? I ask why somebody pointing down the road. As I'm talking, that's when he turns and runs back. So now you're asking him, hey, why is somebody pointing down the road? That's what you're asking him? That's what I was trying to get to, to ask him what, why, why there are people pointing down the road. All right, Mr. Michael, not asking for generalities and what's in your head. I want to know exactly what you were saying to the man jogging down the street. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. What exactly did you say to him the first time you pulled up to him? I want to talk to you. And he turned and ran. He stopped, yeah, turned, and then, and then went the other direction. Okay. And that was an indication to you that he didn't want to talk to you? Yes. That was an indication he was not going to stop for you? Yes. Okay. And at that point in time, you chose to put your truck in reverse and back up at him? Back up along with him. So he's trying to get away from you, doesn't want to stop, doesn't want to talk, and you're backing up to go along with him. That's correct. And at some point in time then, he turns to run, right? Yes, I've asked him again, uh, or asked him that I wanted to talk to him. I don't know exactly what I said, but it was to the effect that I want to talk to him and what happened down the road. And at this point in time, you're not wearing any sort of uniform. No, ma'am. You're not in a marked patrol car. I'm not. You don't have any badges on your sleeves. I do not. Do you remember telling the police, so I pull up to him and say, hey, you know what's going on. He's running. He won't stop. I said, that's him. Stop right there. Stop where you're at. Do you remember telling the police that that's what you said? That's what's on here. Yes, ma'am. So at this point, you're ordering him to stop. I wouldn't say ordering. I was asking him. Like nicely and politely, please, sir, stop. At first, it was not police or service. Hey, could you stop? Please, you know, yes, stop for a second. Stop for a second. My voice inflection and tone, I was trying to stay, trying to keep the situation calm. And this is at the time that he's already decided that he doesn't want anything to do with you and has run back. Yes. Dunikowski's line of questioning suggests that Travis McMichael was making a decision in that moment to seek to detain Mr. Arbery in spite of his Fifth Amendment rights, which McMichael would know from his Coast Guard training. Travis McMichael's answers also make it clear that he had no specific knowledge and no basis for probable cause that Mr. Arbery committed any crime on that day. So at this point in time, you could have just stopped, right? I could have. You could have just let him run, correct? I could have. 
but I also wanted to make sure that everything was okay down the road and see what was happening. I wanted to ask him, at least ask him what was happening and see what, what, what he would say and go from there. Despite the fact that you know about the Fifth Amendment, you know that no one has to talk to anyone they don't want to talk to, right? That's correct. And you said that you wanted to know what had happened and that you saw Matt Albenzi out in the street when you came out with your shotgun from your house, right? Yes, ma'am. You didn't go down and ask Mr. Albenzi what was going on, did you? I did not. Okay. So at one point in time, I think you said you thought, well, maybe somebody had been hurt or something had been broken into or maybe Larry English was down there, right? That's correct. But you didn't head that way to see what exactly had happened, did you? I did not because Mr. Albenzi was pointing down the road. Uh, I took it as whatever happened, you need to go that way. You need to go that way, something has happened. I, and then trying to ask him was to see what was happening, what happened. Because something had happened. Something has happened. This is where defendant William Roddy Bryan entered the story. A security camera on Brian's home captured Mr. Arbery as he was running away from Travis McMichael's truck towards the exit from the neighborhood. We see McMichael's truck moving in reverse, enter the camera frame. Then we see Mr. Arbery change course again and run past McMichael's truck back into the neighborhood away from the exit streets. McMichael also changes course in his truck and follows Mr. Arbery. Brian is seen moving from the front of his house back inside to get his truck keys and then getting into his truck and following after McMichael's truck. Dunikowski asks Travis McMichael about his third attempt to get Mr. Arbery to stop. So you chase him down here, and at this point in time, you cut him off. No, ma'am. I'm alongside him and ask him to stop. I want to talk to him, and then after I've asked him, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Hey, hold on a second. It's when he finally stopped and I was like, okay, now we can talk. We can see what's going on. And then as soon as I said, the cops are coming after he didn't respond to me or at, you know, talk to me. I said, hey, the police are coming. Stay right here. That's when he turned and ran the other direction. You'd agree with me when I say that you never, ever told the Glen County Police Department or in your written statement that you said to Mr. Arbery, the police are coming? I don't know if I did or not. If, I, if it's not on there, then I didn't say it, but I, I, mean, I could have missed it. From everything that was happening and writing it down two hours later, I might have missed it, but I'm on the assumption that they do that because I, I was still under the impression that my dad has called the police, so I'm under the impression that the cops are coming. Prosecutor Dunikowski points out that in all of Travis McMichael's previous statements to police, he never once mentioned that he told Mr. Arbery that the police were coming. So, in your statement to Detective Nohilly, only a couple hours after the homicide of Maude Arbery, you basically say, he goes around the corner, comes back, he's, you know, man, something's not right here. I tell him to stop, tell him to stop grab the gun out of the truck. I say, hey, stop, stop, stop. He runs back. Man, this we call. You call 911 yet? Find my phone, call, give it to my dad, said call the cops, you know, let's get the cops. That so it's only after you grabbed your shotgun out of the truck at the corner of Holmes and Satilla that you say, hey, let's call the cops and you hand the phone to your dad to call the cops. That's when I found out 
that he did not call the police when I when I realized that he has not called the police. You never indicated that Mr. Arbery actually stopped long enough for you to have a conversation with him. Is that correct? At the top of page nine? Uh, yes, I do. I said, uh, he's running, he won't stop. I said, that's him. Stop right there. Stop where you're at. Call the cops, you know. Now, I'm assuming, or what I'm saying there is I told him that I called the cops. Uh, there he is. He starts acting funny, and then he takes off running. So he was stopped. If he takes off running, then he was stopped at the point. Do you remember yesterday telling this jury that that's what you said to your dad? Call the cops, you know, there he is. Do you remember telling this jury just yesterday that that was what you said to your dad? Call the cops, there he is. He starts acting funny, he takes off running. I believe I said, have you called the cops yet? And then on this here is uh, what I mentioned to the police in the interview. And uh, reading this and knowing how I was all over the place when I was given that statement, um, this is what I was talking about. This is what I believe is what I was talking about. But you'd agree, nowhere in here do you say that Mr. Arbery actually stopped. You said, stop right there, stop right where you're at, and he takes off running. He takes off running. Mm -hmm. So nowhere in here do you indicate to Detective Nohilly that he stopped long enough for you to say, the police are on their way, and that that's why he took off running. Nowhere in here and nowhere in your written statement is that indicated. In those terms, saying it in that verbatim, I did not. But looking at this and how I was still under stress, still under the impact of what happened a couple hours after this, just two hours mm -hmm. after the shooting, mm -hmm. and then seeing how I was talking, under stress, nervous, scared, I know what I was talking about here, and that that's what I was talking about. They call the cops, you know. Stop where you're at, call the cops. I'm probably choppy trying to talk to him, being nervous, and saying that I was saying this to Mr. Arbery, and then he takes off running. If you're running, I'm not, he continued running. He takes off running. I think that's what I was talking about there. So what were you nervous about while giving this statement? I just killed a man. I had blood on me still. I was the most traumatic event of my life. I was I was scared to death. I mean, it was it was the most traumatic event of my life. I don't know anybody who wouldn't be scared or stressed or terrified or anything. I mean, it was it was horrible. I'm talking about giving your statement two hours later at a police station. You were nervous because you thought you were going to jail, right? No, I was. I gave him a statement. I mean, if you I would have, somebody, wanted. you don't think you're going to jail. What you're saying? I was going through an investigation. I was following the investigation. Prosecutor Dunikowski presses Travis McMichael on his state of mind during his pursuit of Mr. Arbery and its aftermath. In so doing, Dunikowski is suggesting that McMichael's raw statements after the killing reflect that he presumed to have the authority to detain Ahmad Arbery. Dunikowski also implies that McMichael's assertion that he was merely alerting Mr. Arbery that the police were coming is a convenient addition to the story made up in anticipation of this trial. So, you saw Officer Duggan's body cam, correct? <clears throat> Officer Duggan, the first officer who testified, his body cam. Yes, ma'am. All right, you were standing right behind Officer Duggan while all that went on, right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, ma'am. Okay. So you've just shot Mr. Arbery three times with a shotgun, correct? Correct. 
He's dead on the scene, correct? Correct. He's unarmed, correct? He was. All right. And your father came up to you and grabbed you by the shoulders and went, you had no choice, you had no choice, right? You saw that? Yes. All right. You're covered in Mr. Arbery's blood. You go down to the police station, correct? Correct. All right. And at that point, you're in the safety of the police department giving your statement, correct? Yes. All right. You've got all the time in the world, correct? Yes. All right. And Detective O'Hilly hasn't threatened you? No. Hasn't forced you to make a statement? He did not. And didn't promise you anything in order to get you to make the statement? He did not. But you're telling this jury that you're all confused and you can't get the facts straight as you're telling the police about why it was you shot and killed a man. I was trying with my best ability, but like I said, under the circumstances of going through a traumatic event, this is the most traumatic event that I have ever been through in my life. I don't know how, I've never been through a situation like that. So the reaction, trying to go through and trying to be as factual and as detailed as I could, and then looking through the transcript and being scattered as it was, I could tell that obviously I failed attempting to try as best I could. It just, this is what you got. I tried and this is what happened. So fair to say you never told Detective Nohilly nor wrote down in your written statement that you told Mr. Arbery the police were on their way? It seems that I attempted to say it in these words here. And at that point, Mr. Arbery turns around and runs back to get away from you, correct? That's correct. So at this point in time, he's running away from you. He has not threatened you. No. Hasn't pulled out a gun. No, ma'am. Hasn't pulled out a knife. He did not. Still arms at his sides. That's correct. And he's trying to get away from you. And I was letting him run away. Yes, ma'am. You were letting him run away. That's correct. Wasn't it your intention to go around the block and cut him off and find him over on the other side? To head him off and to see where he's located. That was my intention. Yes, ma'am. But you could have stopped right there and not done anything, right? Yes. But then immediately after is when I saw his interaction with the black truck and realized that there is something to my suspicions here. And I would like to see where he is at when the cops come, which I assume that the police were on the way, that I would be able to tell them where he's at if they haven't located him at that point. So you're telling this jury that your whole intention was just to go ahead and follow Mr. Arbery, keep an eye on him, and to just tell the cops there he is? At that point, yes, ma'am. So at this point in the story, Travis McMichael has yet again pursued Mr. Arbery into the neighborhood away from its exit roads. As McMichael catches up to Mr. Arbery along one side of the neighborhood oval, Mr. Arbery changes direction for a third time towards the neighborhood exit where he will encounter William Bryan in his pickup truck. 
On our next episode, we will pick up Travis McMichael's testimony as he describes his view of Mr. Arbery's first encounter with Mr. Bryan's pickup truck. And we will follow that testimony to its conclusion, including Prosecutor Donikowski's cross-examination of McMichael's account of his killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the killing of Ahmad Arbery.